This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Today, myself, Simon and Danny Murphy reacted to Chelsea getting knocked out of the Champions League. Simon gives his view, as a former owner, on Todd Bowley entering the Chelsea dressing room following defeat last weekend. And Danny questions why the club hasn't been more decisive in appointing a permanent manager. Simon, last night I got a late invite to Chelsea and I thought, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Went to the Westview Block 3, so I stood with some of the Chelsea diehards when the team came through, and the team came through. But uh, I was talking to Danny before we came on air. Mudrick on the bench, Felix on the bench, Mount on the bench. These Chelsea fans were thinking, well, are we or are we not two down to Real Madrid? And is this the second leg of a two-leg tie? Are we going to have a tilt at this lot? You can almost put money on the fact that whatever they did would be toothless and would lack a cutting edge. And that's exactly what we saw. So, Simon, it almost begs a question this morning. And taking personalities aside, as it stands, is Frank Lampard in danger of overseeing an even bigger decline than when he arrived? Um, I don't think anything's materially changed. I don't think anything's changed with a group of players. I don't think anything's changed at the situation at the football club in terms of people's outlooks. And I think the quicker they get this season over and done with, and someone that can actually run the football operation um, or, uh, you know, with a forward-thinking perspective. Look, you look at the performance yesterday and you say Chelsea had 19 shots on goal again. This is a, this is a common statistic that Chelsea occupy possession. That they take teams to a certain position and they can't score goals. Now, everyone will turn around and say, well, why don't you play Aubameyang and why don't you bring Lukaku back from loan? And it can't be that obvious. There must be other reasons why these players aren't featuring and why they can't square circles and resolve situations. But the bottom line is, I don't know anybody, really, that would have assumed that Frank Lampard was going to achieve anything different. I don't understand the appointment. I genuinely do not understand the reasons for it, besides the fact that there's a populist mentality that somehow you're going to appease a group of people by putting in somebody they liked as a player. The team is the problem. The results are the problem, and you needed someone to come in and affect the outcome of the results, not someone to subsequently appeal to a certain section that still hold up a banner called Super Frank. No, true. I think I, it's silly. And, of course, Danny, we knew that Frank backed himself <laughs> when he came in, but four games and four defeats for him and one goal scored on from that stage, it has gone very wrong. 
Yeah, I completely understand why he took it. Um, he must have been surprised at the call, but I understand because he would have had belief that he could go in and get a result against Madrid and all of a sudden his stock could get lifted. The stupidity around it for me is that a new manager coming in who's going to be there for the long term, somebody they decide who wants to take the club forward, had a wonderful opportunity in the last month or two of the season to assess what he's got, start working on the philosophy and new ideas in a a less pressurised situation where nobody's expecting anything. Yeah. And he can try things and look at players and start telling them who he wants out the door and start planning on who he might want in. Because any new manager is going to like and dislike certain players. Because some of those, even if they go out on loan, a lot of those players are going to have to leave. So you think the permanent guy should have been in? Oh, my no. God, yes. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, think, I think they've missed... Because, look, whoever they bring in has got to go in and start on day one, which will be, what, uh, probably July. And then he's got four to six weeks. Should they do it now? Yeah. Absolutely. No, they're out of the Champions League. Well, how, how long can it... The only thing I can say, Si, is if, if they are desperately wanting someone who is in a, already in a role, already somewhere, in a, managing someone else, and they've said, well, I'll come, but at the end of the whatever. Right. But why, why wouldn't you... If, if one of the candidates who's out of work, you, the person you want is not in work... The sooner he gets in, the better chance Chelsea have got of being successful next so year. So you're talking about sack the interim? Well, I don't think that... I mean, listen, I think we that don't ship, need to sack him. Do I think the ship has probably sailed. I think the opportunity to have made that decision should have been made prior to bringing Frank in. I've got no issue with Frank Lampard. I don't... Uh, once upon a time, I thought he had the credentials to be elite manager. I don't see any evidence supporting that initial perspective that I had. Nothing, nothing has supported that. So I don't see why you'd bring him back in to hold the fault on a side that clearly is struggling for a variety of reasons. There can't be any argument these players are good enough to compete at this level because clearly the amount of money that's been spent on players, the performance of these players in previous incarnations tell you that they are better players than the outcomes that they're currently producing. There is something... There is a malaise at Chelsea... And whether it's because of the seven months with Potter that allowed a management style to develop and just stay in the minds of these players where they don't understand what's expected of them or they can't deliver because they've got stuck in first gear and they can't get out of it now and they needed a different voice and it wasn't Frank Lampard's voice and it never was going to be Frank Lampard's voice. Yeah. So with all that in mind, they should have made that change. I think now with this backdrop of the narrative that's building up around Bowley, he may not care. He may not care about the background noise, but some of the things that are going on are very ill-advised. It's silly to allow yourself to build up a reputation of someone that goes into dressing rooms and involves yourself in what's going on in there. It's an irrelevance for football owners to be in a dressing room. There's no place for you there. Maybe pop in there at the beginning of the season, wish them a good season, and maybe pop in at the end of the season and say thank you for the season. But you don't get involved on a regular basis of wandering in that dressing room. The players are not interested in what you have to say. You've been in, though, haven't you? I saw, no, you went in. Yeah, and you learn your <laughs> lessons. I think, you know, I wrote a column specifically about this for tomorrow called First season syndrome about chairman and owners that seem to think there's a benefit of listening to people who we can't have any of that and wandering into a dressing room talking to a bunch of players that will only view you as someone that's going to fire the guy that they actually work for the when moment you, you in there when you were off yesterday Simon I asked the ownership I was texting I asked the ownership is it fair or unfair this pushback on you going into the dressing room and that it came back I don't know if it's fair or unfair all we ask for is that the players fight for the fans who invest their money time and energy in those players we care about winning on and off but the you're pitch not, but you're not going to you are not going to impart that message to them as an owner of a football club directly after a game you are not going to and if you don't if you have a manager that's his job it's not your job. You're, you're, the only thing you can concentrate their minds with is their pay packets and not wanting them at the end of a season. The bottom line is, 
owners going into dress rooms, and I'm the first one to, to push back against the orthodoxy. I'm the first one to say, I'm not having this football nonsense about what you can and can't do. You do not need to be in a dress room. And the moment you start being in a dress room, you undermine the manager and you start allowing a narrative Depends to be built what up you in the do. media. Have you sat in a dressing room, Danny, and the owners walked in? Well, I'll give you a perfect example in my experience. I don't know if you knew David Moores. Uh, yes, of course I did, yeah. yeah. Now, a wonderful human being. Would never come in and rant and rave and start sort of telling you, you know, what to do or kick you up the backside, but just loved being around it. And he had that right, and he'd come in and became... It became, for me and a lot of the lads, and I can say this genuinely hand on heart, he became part of it a little bit, always, you know, always in there, always with us around. And it kind of felt like, actually... We're all together. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I, we want to do it for him and, as and well. that's fine, right? But when you've got a culture being built up around a football club that's currently in disarray and an owner that's walking in after games, right, Because and a, and a statement coming out from Chelsea saying, we just want to remind these players, this is not someone walking there for bonhomie. This isn't someone walking in there to turn around and say to the players, we're all together. This is clearly someone walking in there to express the frustrations of himself. So I get and, back, so yeah. So, so you go, shouldn't be there. So I go back to my original point, though. It depends how you conduct yourself when you're in there. I think the actual statement of saying you should never be in there, I don't, I don't agree. I think it's what you say and how you can conduct yourself while you're in there that's crucial because what you can do is it can be advantageous to the group by having an owner who's actually conducts himself in a real supportive way and actually you feel like you know come on nonsense get... Danny what you then created well I, I lived what, what, it you created it you, I lived you, it you lived it to a certain point at a time when Liverpool weren't particularly smashing the, 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 the light fantastic in terms of a team being successful but go beyond that and look at the bigger picture and say right what you do is you open up doors for owners to believe that players can come to them you build cultures inside dressing rooms that are wrong players are managed by managers and I don't care what you I say agree as with a that. player the moment you bring that, that, that relationship as a chairman available to, at certain points to a player you will find it abused there's nothing wrong with going in. I used to do it as a grant at the beginning of the season, say to the lads, you know, have a good season. They yeah, set us yeah, all that, right? Yeah. I used to go in every now and again, mm. hide around the back and listen to the manager's team talks because I wanted mm. to get the feel of what was going on because I enjoyed it, especially yeah. with Warnock. And at the end of the season, you know, I'd go in and say, you know, let's pick ourselves up for next yeah, season, yeah. whatever it was. But on a regular basis, no, because I think it was mismessaging. I think it was undermining I... the manager's authority. And I think it allowed relationships to develop with players that were not healthy for the well-being of I the manager. I understand that. I'll, I'll fire... Did sometimes it did feel awkward sometimes when he came in actually undermining a manager a little bit and say some no, silly, some silly things. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. You, you've probably met him. You understand. Yeah, Sammy, getting back to the square root of Gorsh. If you were a bully, would you appoint a permanent manager now? Is that the priority now? But again, I, I, I find myself in a situation where what is the point now? The ship has sailed. You've got six, seven games to go in the league. Because the it gives him time. I know, but it should have been done. Now, what you're doing now is you're pandering to a narrative that other people are creating for you. You're not running your football club anymore. You're being driven by circumstances. And also, the decision should have been made four games ago. You but make yeah. yourself a laughing stock now. But apparently, they've done all. They've done these interviews with these Luis Enrique. Oh, they're speaking to people. Nagelsmann. Nagelsmann you've had understand. the interviews. Who do you want? Get him in. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. What we're talking about right now is Chelsea. Where are they going from here? Are they in a worse state now than they were before Lampard came in? And what next? Is it time that Bowley stops going into dressing rooms and appoints a permanent manager and gets on with it? Because this is a club at the moment whose season is over. And we're in mid-April. Mid-April. Uh, Vernon is a big Chelsea fan. Vernon, we know you. Before I come to you, Vernon, what about what Drogba said in Canal TV last night, Canal Plus? They should go back to the principles and values they had. I no longer recognise my club. Mm. Vernon, is Chelsea yeah. still recognisable to you? 
not the, not this year, no. Uh, once Abramovic had to sell the club, I think a lot of Chelsea fans deep down thought, oh dear, there's an end of an era coming. Uh, in a lot of ways, he's a little bit lucky that uh, when Roman came in, we already had JT there and Lampard there and uh, Petr Cech um, and Drogba come along and that spine of that team basically kept Chelsea going for a decade of almost unqualified success. And now that that's all gone, you know, people get old and move on. Um, I'm a fr- unfortunately, I did not. I know this is going to sound awful, but when I had to, when we had to get a new owner, I didn't want it to be American. I really didn't, um, and I don't know why. But I've just got this funny feeling in my water it won't work out for us. Unfortunately, that's what's happened. They've come in. They paid a hell of a lot of money for Chelsea. They've they've put their money where their mouth is to a certain extent. But unfortunately, I think Todd Bowley and Egg Barley, they sort of. I've almost born to play uh, football manager because it's their money. And a lot of people don't like giving their wallet over to someone else. And I think uh, they got rid of Marina and Czech and everybody else. They've cleared the decks and they're totally inexperienced. And I think they've had their trousers taken down and virtually every single deal. I mean, they pay £47 pound, uh, million pounds for Sterling and put him on a £350,000 a week contract for five years. Now, the man has going to have no sell-on value. We're never going to be able to get rid of him. He's a busted flush, and that's just one person. There's so many things wrong at the moment. Simon's listening to you, Vernon. Simon, what would you say to Vernon about the points he's made? Well, I think there's relevance to some of the points that Vernon makes, but the fundamental difference between the two sets of ownership is that Roman Abramovich did not ruminate on who who managed his football team. He went for nailed-on winners. So straight out of the gate, he took... took, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Who was the manager of Leicester? Won the league. Renieri for the first season. Yeah. He binned him because he wasn't happy with him, put Mourinho in. Right? And yeah. Mourinho was a proven winner. Mourinho kept them going for two or three years until he fell out with um, uh, Abramovich mm. because he couldn't get precisely what he wanted, and off he went. Mm. And then he put another win, winner <clears> in and another win. What Todd mm. Bowley's yeah. tried to do is, <clears throat> is try to build a project believing that mm. uh, a manager that's easy to work with, I mean, he might have been scarred by some of the experiences he's had with Thomas Tuchel and some of the attitude mm. that Thomas Tuchel exhibited as a top-flight manager towards an owner, and maybe that scarred um, uh, Bowley, and he thought, what I want is a manager that's inclusive and works with the board and doesn't create problems mm. behind the scenes that people don't see as visible. And maybe that was a reason for Potter. And there's the main difference. But one thing you can't argue with, Vernon, irrespective mm. of what current outcome is, and I don't believe this current outcome will stay this way, I believe that people like Todd Bowley are very quick learners. And maybe they're making mm. mis- mistakes in their first season. We all do it, in mm. not so much in the glare of the public domain as football, but we all do it in a new profession. They'll get it right, and they'll make a change, and they'll affect the outcomes going forward. But you cannot argue, what would be the purpose of buying a football club for two and a half billion quid, spending mm. £600 million pounds mm. in one season for this malaise to continue? It, this ship will correct itself. It'll right itself. Are you with Simon and that, Vernon? I truly hope so, Simon I, and Jim and Danny. I really do because um, we, I know it sounds silly, but we are a bit spoiled, Chelsea. We've had such a wonderful 25 years <laughs> yeah. of unqualified success. And the thing is, Jim, is I think that Chelsea have sort of lost that respect now. Teams just turn up at Stamford Bridge and anything, and they think we're going to turn this Chelsea team over because they're so weak mentally and physically. And that worries me. That really hurts me as well. Okay. Let's, let's get somewhere right quickly as well on Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, this thing that they've fallen off a cliff overnight. Yeah, OK, they won the Champions League under Tuchel and that was a great achievement. But other than that, since they won the league in 2017, the season after they finished behind 
the, the winners, 30 points. The season after that, 26 points behind the leaders. Season after, 31 points. Season after, 19 points behind the winners. And again, 19 points the one after. They've not been anywhere winning, near winning the league for six years. And the fans are thinking, just because they've spent a load of money, they're going to try and compete and win the league this, this next season. That's a good but, point. But this has happened before. No, but, yeah. but, but, I mean, Chelsea... but we're talking six years without being anywhere but, near but Chelsea, winning Chelsea the league. Chelsea finished 10th in 2015. So this is not something, and uh, and the following 15, 16, the following season they came back and won the league. This is not something that Chelsea haven't seen and been before, and it happened under Abramovich's reign. And people can say what, that six one... years without him being in anywhere near. No, but true. In the period you've mentioned, though, they won the Champions League, they won the Europa League. So they're league. a cup team. No, what they're not is keeping. They win up. things. They're not keeping pace with Manchester City. Manchester City have raised the bar. Well, and Liverpool, Liverpool for a period of time Arsenal raised the bar. Now. No, in one season, Arsenal. Let's yeah, get it yeah, right, true, right. True. But the bottom line is they haven't kept pace with Liverpool and Manchester City, mm. and no one is keeping pace with Manchester City. No, but they're way really. off. They're, way off. They're, they're, they may well be miles off, but the point is, is that Chelsea have been here before. Yeah. They were here in 2015, and this idea that Abramovich. Part of the reasons why Chelsea find themselves in this position is because of Abramovich. Because Abramovich's culture of building nothing and simply saying to a manager, win, okay, you didn't win mm. out, win. And I like that to some extent, but the other side of it, you build no legacy. <clears throat> now, the other argument that people say, oh, everyone went out with Todd Bowley. Why does everybody, ex when Todd Bowley walks in the door, why does everybody accept when a manager comes in, the entire backroom staff goes from the previous regime? Some clubs don't work that way. Most of them do. Most of them do. You might have a few people that stay in the background. But why would it be any different in a boardroom? When you walk in the door, the previous regime's backroom staff tend to go too in yeah. lots of different spaces. Yeah. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome 
to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Andy, Manchester United fan. Love this show, guys. Love it. Simon Jordan's comments on owners going into the dressing room are spot on. It undermines the manager. You truly believe that, Simon? <clears throat> did you do it yourself and then thought better of it? Oh, well, I did it. Like I've said, and, I, and again, I've written this article specifically about first season. Yeah. You do a lot of things in your first season that you look back on with a degree of... Um, recrimination of your own actions and regret because you realise that there's no benefit in it. I believe that you don't get to be in a position in life that Todd Bowley's in and continue to make the same mistakes. So I feel that mm. he will make these mistakes, he will learn the landscape of English football. It's one thing wanting to change things and, and back against the establishment. It's another thing making fundamental errors that will hurt you in the longer game. I think that Bowley will find his natural level in English football, realise the landscape of how football is held together, not suggest that he knows better than that and try to circumvent it, and you'll see a different perspective next year. You'll mm. see a different Chelsea next I year. Agree. That's yeah. what I think will happen. Danny, it is interesting when Lee and Kings Lynn, maybe Chelsea do have a permanent manager lined up, but he's not at another club. He's recuperating in Italy. It's Antonio Conte, a proven winner. Why not, says Lee? Come on. Come on. Come on. No chance. Um, uh, what we do know is that Frank Lampard presses on. Interim manager from now until the end of the season. Until we hear different, that is the state of play. And even Lampard said last night, what are you not? Chelsea will be back. People will make a lot about this season for Chelsea because they've had so much success. And the, the, the reality is this club's going to be back. And it will take work. And it will take maybe a bit of process. And... I think the fans appreciated the performance today. Well, maybe this season they've had moments where they're not feeling like that. So we have to lash on to that, um, get results for the end of the season, get performance for the end of the season. And then, OK, go again next year. Go again next year. And next year, Todd Bowley and Igbali, of course, the Americans in charge now, will still be in charge. And what Simon's saying this morning is, from that point of view, believe in Bowley. Because long term, the man wants to improve the club and wants to make the club, as we have learnt, the best football club, the biggest, most successful football club in the world. I think they've got to manage expectation a bit. I mean, even Frank there, to a degree, will be back. You know, back where? They're not going to be challenging for the title next season. Any Chelsea fan that thinks that's delusional. Robin's a big Chelsea fan. You heard Danny there. Do you think they'll challenge for the title next season, Robin? Yeah. Um, what, next season? No, I can tell you nothing. With Bowley in charge, he's got to make the right decision. Uh, Simon Jordan, I absolutely 100% agree with The reason why I say that, Paul Simon, is that when you go into a training room, you just lost 3-1. The worst thing in the world is to go into a, into a dressing room and say, oh, sorry, you know I mean? That was very embarrassing. He should have driven that through the manager. He shouldn't have come in and said that. No one. At the end of the day, you've got, to have, you've got to have charisma. And that is not charisma going into a dressing room and saying that kind of thing. OK, that's Robin, that's... listen, we get your drift. Thank you for that. Simon, another big Chelsea fan who's been waiting <laughs> patiently. Simon, good morning. Where is, where is your head with this this morning, Simon? Because the season's over for you. Yeah, hi, guys. Um, well, I've been defending Frank Lampard ever since um, the end of the game. Um, because I'll tell you where the problem lies, well, why we're going to have a mid-table finish. Uh, it's not just Todd Bowley's fault, but, but a big part of it, £600 million worth. Um, but also Roman Abramovich, because Danny's right, we haven't challenged for five, six seasons. And the reason is we've bought some very good defenders, some good central midfielders, 
But our purchase of wingers and forward players has been abysmal in the last five or six years. But you, what you recruitment, said, basically. But you the said, Sam, you, you cut great, Frank yeah. a bit of slack. That's what you said at the top. Since the end of the game last night, you're not going to point the finger at Frank. Well, no, because Frank can only work with what's there. Were you happy um, with the team that he picked? Yeah, I was happy with it. We we stayed in the game. We created a, a few chances. I knew that he would try and stay in the game and then go more attacking in the last half hour. I think that was the right policy. You're playing the world champions, you know, the, uh, the uh, European champions. You, Real Madrid, excellent side. Um, Frank's an intelligent football manager. I think he did really well in his first season at Chelsea. I think he still can be an, an elite manager. But we've got no forwards or wingers that score regularly in the whole club. Sammy, give me a name. There were a variety of lads sitting with me coming back into the city last night who were throwing names at me. Give me the name that you think you want to see sitting permanently in the manager's seat. Well, it's a hard one. I mean, I'd, I'd go, if I could choose, I'd have Eddie Howe, but he won't leave Newcastle. So probably I would pump for Enrique um, because he's done it at a high level and... Um, yeah, you know, he did well with Spain and Barcelona, so probably Enrique. OK. Gene isn't so optimistic about the future, are you, Gene? Good morning. Big Chelsea fan. Yeah. No, I'm not. I, I, I truly, I think this is the worst that it's ever been at Chelsea. I mean, we had some bad times under Roman, but it was never as bad as this. And, and, and from what I saw last night, I, I, I fear that we won't win another game before the end of the season. And, and I think the one thing, if I was Mr. Bowling, I think the one thing I would do at the end of the season is get on the phone to Thomas Tuchel and just say thank you. And say thank you for those results that you got us at the beginning of the season. Because if we hadn't got those results, we wouldn't be in 11th position now. We'd probably be down where Southampton and Bournemouth and the rest of them are. I, I, I think the whole club is broken from top to bottom. I don't want to be a doom and gloom merchant, but... I, it's going to take a hell of a turnaround to get this back to where we were. Wow. I mean... Don't, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look too that. much into the Premier League games recently of losing those. The players, they're not, they're not going down and they're never getting in the Champions League spots. The players aren't going into those games with the same commitment and verve that you would be if you're but pushing... But that's not good enough No, it's not fans. good enough, but I'm saying... They what, no, more in every Premier League I'm match not saying played. it's good enough. What I'm saying is a lot of fans... Oh, if, if we hadn't also had those points earlier in the season. If you'd had a bad start to the season, the players would be up in the game now and be pushing away from that. They'd get better results. It's just the mentality of football sometimes. Footballers, it's just the way it is. That's why you see teams drop off when they've got to 44 points with 10 games to go and you say, you know, you're on the beach, the famous saying. You start, That's why that clubs across the world have done it for years is because right. you just drop off when there's nothing to play for. Well, Gene's saying doom and gloom and he apologises for it but he says mm. that's where we're at. Louis, finish this off for me. Big Chelsea fan, is it this bad? Morning, Gene. No, I don't think it's anywhere near this bad. Um, no. You know, I think part of the perspective that we're getting is as if Chelsea is a football club which is only 25 years old. You know, before Abramovich things were pretty dire. Mm. Um, you know, in the body candle and Bobby Campbell and Ken Oddle Day. So for me, you know, we are a spoiled club. 25 years of success. I think we're probably a goalkeeper and a striker away from a from a top squad. Um, and probably this time next year, things will look completely different. What does that look like to you? What's different? Well, top four really again and, and actually rebuilding the club properly. 
Um, like you say, Danny, we've had years away from actually challenging for the title. Mm. I mean, a cup side, yeah, but they're, you know, they are some pretty good cups. They are, they are. Um, <laughs> I mean, Simon states his faith in Bowley, Louis, and I think he's right to do so. But here's the thing about the Premier League right now. It does not stand still. And while Chelsea have had major hiccups, others like Brighton, even Brentford, others around it. Look at Newcastle, Villa. I was at Villa on Saturday. There's something massive going down there. Arsenal, everybody's got the, the foot in the accelerator pedal and they are piling forward. That's true, mate. Yeah, I mean, I was at the Villa game when they, they played really well against Chelsea. I think Arsenal were a great example, though. I mean, last year or probably 18 months ago, you know, everyone was looking for Arteta to go. And a season out of Europe with a settled squad, I think recruitment at Chelsea's been pretty poor. And mm. that has probably been the main core of the issue. Players like Sterling coming in. But if they were to get a top goalkeeper and someone that can actually put away the chances that we create, um, I think things could look completely different quite quickly. Um, just on Lampard, I mean, I just don't think he's got the ability to be a manager of a, of a top club yet. I mean, he seems to be taking on learning huge experiences of football management, you know, on the job, you know, playing in the Champions League and stuff, and I don't think he's anywhere near it. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back each weekday to bring you the best of the show.